0: Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society.
1: Every episode, we upload for you the expertise, insights, and opinions of thought leaders, innovators, and creators on topics at the intersection of technology and society. We'll cover pervasive and emerging technologies that are influencing and impacting our business, education, governments, research, and culture. I'm Jay. I'm Jessica.
0: And I'm John. And we're the co-producers of the Austin Forum Upload.
1: Hello and welcome to the Austin Forum Upload. Today, we've got another episode of Artificial Intelligence
0: Facts, Fiction, and Fun. I'm John Lachman. And I'm Luke Wilson. And I'm Jay Boisso, the Executive Director and Founder of the Austin Forum. And I'm very pleased to introduce a colleague and friend of ours, Charlie Burgoyne, the CEO and Founder of Valkyrie. Charlie, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me on today, guys. Looking forward to it.
0: Charlie, why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself so they understand what we already know, what a what a full spectrum geek you are and how you uh how you have a role in so many different technologies and bring them all together at valkyrie
2: sure yeah I appreciate it yeah I'm a physicist by training cut my teeth in a couple of government labs early 2000s to late you know late late 2000s and then uh, decided that there were, there was a kind of a big gap between the way people were talking about artificial intelligence and what the research was showing about artificial intelligence and I thought it might be appropriate to try and um, bridge that gap. And so after a couple of stints with different private companies, which I treated as an opportunity to learn how to basically how to run an effective business, uh, I started Valkyrie. Um, and we're about to start our fifth year, which is really wild. And we do predominantly consulting services, but we also have a variety of crazy things. Um, <laughs> we have an investment firm called Vertex. Uh, we also have a, a racing team called Velocity. Uh, and then we have a whole philanthropic arm that we call virtue, which is all around um, using applied sciences to give back to the community. We've got a team of physicists, mathematicians, statisticians, biologists, chemists, and we all basically work together uh, in interdisciplinary ways to bridge the gap between knowledge engineering systems with pattern recognition by means of you know, computational statistics or, or machine learning.
0: I'm uh, always fascinated to hear you describe everything you do at Valkyrie, the AI motivation you've told me before, but I love hearing that again. I'm going to kick us off today. You know the format. This is AI facts, fiction, and fun. So the first thing up, what's your favorite, most recent AI fact, achievement, results, something notable that, that really impressed you recently in the
2: field of AI? The, the big obvious one right now is the is the fusion between techniques in in um, in convolution uh, and then audio processing. So the the deep fakes with Tom Cruise is a big one that if you haven't seen that yet and you have a strong stomach, go and watch any of the deep fakes made around Tom Cruise. But one one of the things that I'm actually particularly interested in right now, um, in fact, I've got a piece that's getting published shortly around it is the discrepancy between firms that were able to adopt, techniques and reinforcement learning for predictive models versus those that were deploying canonical techniques leading up to the, to the pandemic. Um, and the reason I'm particularly interested in that is because it's creating a divergence between the efficacy of models because of the radical change in behavior during the pandemic, which reinforcement learning and different techniques and self-healing um, can do a very effective job of correcting for, um, but more traditional techniques don't do a very good job of that. So a lot of businesses specifically, especially in the financial services space are either uh, are facing a, a portfolio of models and some of which are continuing to be performant even during this time. Um, and some of them are completely useless um, because of the wild discrepancy in the, in the activity of their users. So uh, from an industry's perspective, I'm actually really, really interested in observing all the results of uh, super deep techniques, ultra unsupervised techniques, uh, and reinforcement techniques that have provided a, an appreciable delta and advantage for different companies in different markets. And you say you have something that's about to be published on this? I serve on the uh, Forbes Technology Council and it will be published with Forbes um, not too long, not too long from now. But basically um, I, I go through you know the state of affairs for models before the pandemic Um, Kind of this eccentric behavioral phenomenon that we're observing right now during the pandemic and then uh, what things look like after the pandemic. And I truly think that there are three different states that we're going to be existing in just because of the multiplicity of inefficiencies that we've identified in various sectors because of the pandemic. I don't think, you know, Valkyrie is not going back to a full lab where everybody's in person together. Um, we're, we're going to have a wildly different strategy for that. And that has implications on the commercial market, it has implications on retailers downtown. It's a whole litany of different things that are, are have been wildly perturbed. Um, and I definitely don't think that everything's going back to normal. We've identified too much inefficiency for it to be that way. So I'm excited because um, I, I think that there is a very bright light ahead. And it's really rewarding right now to look at some of the large institutions that have been able to capitalize on um, techniques and reinforcement and and other spaces that have allowed them to have data that is adapting and self-healing in in near real-time conditions based off of these eccentric behaviors that we're now observing.
3: First off, I think using the phrase uh, eccentric behavior profile for everybody panic is the best euphemism I have probably ever heard. (laughs) But I do want to ask you, Charlie, I know that reinforcement learning techniques seem to be performing better with these kind of shifting you know, environmental patterns, but what about companies' ability to adopt that? You know, reinforcement learning has a steep learning curve. There's a steep computational curve with it. it takes a long time to build a strong model with reinforcement learning. Mm-hmm. Is this going to leave a lot of companies behind that were using traditional models and can't adapt to those massive inflection points? It's such a
2: great question, and yes, to all those dimensions against which it's it's that are required in order for it to be in, um, deployed. And the other big question which is almost ideological is reinforcement learning is almost never explainable. So any firm that's requiring some degree of accountability or or, or insights into why different decisions are, are spitting out of the box, I think that we're actually witnessing a radical transformation and acceptance of those models in a way that we've never seen before. I think that this that's a seismic shift on the order of how telehealth is developed during the pandemic, i.e, there are all sorts of different types of services you can get in the healthcare sector that you were uh, digitally that you were not able to get 18 months ago. And that's just like widespread, a whole litany of different types of things. I think the same is true for some of these models that are unexplainable because now these executives are looking at you know the millions of models that they paid to have devel- developed that dependent on very well-labeled and structured data over the course of the last 15 years of the corpus of their business now completely failing, whereas some of their experimental stuff and the reinforcement side is actually working much, much better. Now, it used to be that the delta between canonical techniques and then some of these self-healing techniques wasn't big enough to really justify the lack of accountability. But with a black swan like COVID, I think this actually changed the whole dynamic altogether. And we're seeing a lot of our clients and a lot of the people that we work with embrace techniques and deep learning and reinforcement in ways that they hadn't before.
1: I mean, really, it's it's two kind of two sides here. We're looking at the, a study of sociology and, and humans' movement and, and how they react to things, but also the the rapid adaption of technology in a time when, let's just say, I mean, we've had video and conference technology for a long time, but it's not been used very well, right? Until people were forced to do it, then it became the everyday thing. And now it's the way you're doing business. While a lot of those, a lot of those previous models, like you said, were built on a 15 or 20 year data set. As we're continuously adapting these, these uh, regenerative models, how do we look back to know that we're still being more efficient over time? As you can say, like, well, we're looking at, at increasing efficiency now. What are you guys doing to kind of look back?
2: Yeah, I, I, I hate to be a cynic, but I, I would be Unless I'm wildly off and it's always, there's always the you know, what they say about models, they're always wrong sometimes, but sometimes they're useful. Um, I think that the change is going to be s- seismic enough that we may have corpuses of data that are useful for just about nothing other than compliance. I mean, honestly, I think we've trained a bunch of models, millions and millions of models that are really not um, going to serve, you know, the post COVID, the post pandemic era. And um, you know, and I could be wrong. I mean, I think there are some industries that probably won't real you know realize that that
3: large of a perturbation. But I think on the whole, it's a brave new world. All right. Well, moving on from you know AI models that we've been building for the last fifteen years are pointless, so just throw them all away. The <laughs> why don't we talk about why don't we talk about fiction, Charlie? What's your favorite AI fiction?
2: Well, my favorite of all time is is still Ex Machina. I'm, I mean, I'm just such a huge fan of that. But I watched a a movie recently called Archive, which was not. It's particularly remarkable I mean it was fine it was good um, but what I what I particularly enjoyed about it was its um, ability to synthesize it talked all about the synthesis of cognition into a digital context into a digital frame so you know the the I won't spoil anything but in, in short an individual is trying to take a consciousness that's been stored into, into a machine and transform it into a um, uh, one of the a physical entities he's been building an AI researcher or scientist. What I really enjoyed about it was not so much the potential that it showed, but the limitations rather that it showed. And what I mean is that, you know, in this, in this paradigm, in, in this movie, they talk about how this consciousness has been stored in this, you know, vast array of multi-core processors, you know, storage systems and multi- multiple processors that are used to basically a huge HPC that's been placed in this guy's living room. I, I, Increasingly think that that's actually not the solution to AGI, much less storing cognition. There are too many differences in the way resources are being expelled in order for us to act as autonomous sentient creatures. You know, for us to think that we could really just deploy that inside of a digital context. Um, that's a lot of that's a lot of big speak for saying my brain runs on fractions of a watt constantly, right? And these some of these HPCs are running on you know megawatts and not showing nearly the kind of efficacy in certain domains that, that I'm able to. So what's, what the heck's going on? I, I don't think the solution is to just throw more bits and silicon against it. I, I think if we do approach an AGI or even further out the ability to save a conscious a set of consciousness, I think we're, we're gonna have to really experiment with some pretty interesting extra domains outside of the ones that we've been using to date. I wouldn't be surprised if in 50 years, we or hundred years, we've identified a method to pass components of consciousness into botanical synthetics. So plants that are particularly receptive and, and capable of, of transporting through, you know, unique proteins that they control memories. I don't, I don't think that that's incredibly unrealistic. Um, there's something about organic material and its ability to express and store and share information and, it's, and at a higher level recognize patterns that we have not been able, even close to being able to replicate on the, on the digital side. So, so in our research, we've been thinking about that a lot in terms of the types of projects we're taking on.
0: That's fascinating. So first, the movie is called Archive? Yeah, Ar- Archive. Uh-huh. So definitely eager to check this out. I mean, you, you hit on one of the fundamental things there. Crudely put, it's hard to define artificial intelligence because so far we haven't been able to define intelligence very well. And when we teach our artificial intelligence classes you know, Luke will get up there and talk about a perceptron and whatnot, but he's very honest with the the students saying, this is not actually how the brain works, right? And this neural network built of these is not actually, it's just sort of this logical structure that is sort of inspired by it rather than a mapping of it. And there's so many subtleties, as you pointed out, these big HPC systems are megawatts of power. Our brains are, what, somewhere between 10 and 20 watts total and can do many more things. can't calculate as fast, but can do many other things much, much better. So um, I'm I'm fascinated by that as well. And I'm fascinated by what your team might be doing in this area. Because as long as we're looking at this in straight silicon with zeros and ones, it strikes me that we might be, and I'm an optimist, but we might be lifetimes away from being able to replicate real human intelligence this way. My, My expectation, though, is that we will develop new techniques be they organic quantum etc as well as a deeper understanding of how human intelligence actually works in this marvel of neurons and synapses and such and that a combination of new materials and new approaches as well as a deeper understanding of what intelligence actually is will get us there so i'm bullish on an artificial general intelligence I would just be bearish on it being accomplished using anything like what we're using right
2: now, I guess. 100%. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's tenable, it will not look like anything we've built to date,
0: right? I, I will say that my favorite pandemic show was Upload on Amazon Prime. Oh, so good. Which, which managed to upload a person's consciousness into a, the cloud in a regular digital system. And so I just had to pretend like, okay,
2: <laughs>
0: that's that's not gonna happen, but, but it's
2: a fun show. I really enjoyed I thought that was a phenomenal show. And, it, you know, all the references it had to, like, oh, my, my dad's got vape lung. You know, it was kind of like Black Mirror, but less cynical. It was like White Mirror a little bit. They're all I kind these- of like that. Yeah.
0: We yeah. I mean, loved all the corporate mergers that happened. I think it was like Nokia, Taco Bell, or something <laughs> like that, and Intel, Oscar Mayer, and all these crazy mergers. I I really like the idea of the the consciousness mapping. I've,
1: you know, there's been a a couple of stories that I've known of through through time. Like, I mean, even Hydra in the Marvel stories, right? They put one of their scientists into a computer and I'm with you, like very limited in how, what you can do with today's supercomputing technology. I mean, the constraints that you have to put on engineering silicon uh, go far beyond what our, you know, our natural organic bodies can really do. Like, you know, you can't, your, your engineered solution isn't going to continue to grow itself or, or continue to change its physical properties over time. There was another uh, book going more biological. Uh, Old Man's War was a, a concept of, of transferring consciousness into uh, sort of an alien body. Uh, so that you could go fight in the alien wars for, for earth, great series of, of books. Um, but the same kind of idea was that it's too hard to put constraints on what consciousness is. Right. And so you have to look to something organic. I like, I, I also like what you mentioned, maybe uh, plants, because if you think about some of those massive Aspen groves, right. With the huge uh, wood wide networks and stuff that we could apply those same kind of applications to an organic substance, and I think that's that's probably the right path. And that you know maybe maybe I'll be more optimist than Jay in let's say twenty years.
2: Yeah, it certainly it certainly, I, and I, I don't know of a lot of researchers who are thinking about things this way. You know, um, MIT's Quest for Intelligence, with whom we have a relationship. Those guys are really interesting the way they're thinking about the problem. They're bringing in people from all sorts of different domains, from bio to chemistry to neurology to um, statisticians, all sorts of different types of scientists, and they're, they're approaching the, the, like, they're starting with the fundamental problem is what is intelligence? And I've had these, you know, pretty long conversations with some of their, with one of their chairs. And what we kind of always circle back around is, what is motivation? Why do we do some of the things that we do? And the trite answer is, well, because we have these chemicals that are uh, promoting this, these instincts, or because we have these well, well-formed memories or passed down memories based off of fear or love or all sorts of different types of primal emotions. But there's, there are really big gaps to that, right? The idea of a platonic object, right? A, a true, you know, a, you know, an object that has reached its zenith for identity. Um, those are things that we understand, but we don't really have motivations biologically to understand those, right? I, I, if I were to design the perfect chair for a ranch home and I would ask you guys to do the same, we kind of could do something that's very, very similar, right? It, it probably look in a lot of ways, very similar. That's a weird phenomenon. If all we're really doing is looking at expressed patterns in our own history, and then also appreciating um, some of the innate biology that, that we were handed down, right? The nature and the nurture it doesn't really explain enough of it in my, in my opinion. Um, but, but that's a, that's more of
3: a hypothesis than a law. It really makes you think is it is it in is it the individual that's intelligent or is it the society that's intelligent and it's reflected through the individual and you know it has a lot of ramifications for artificial intelligence it may be that we can never build an artificial general intelligence thing we can never build one but maybe we could build a hundred they all have to be built at the same time
2: mm-hmm.
3: i mean imagine this, absolutely
2: and maybe the maybe the answer is both you know maybe and I watched Avatar not that long ago, and you know they're all plugging into the ground with their braids, and you know talking to the tree. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not that ridiculous for me to think about a, a state where we have uh, an ability to connect through some sort of neural linkage and um, communicate from one individual to another, or even outsource problem solving from one individual to another over uh, over the specific com- configuration that we have neurologically. Maybe that I'm really good at creating limericks and Jay's really good at solving algebraic problems. And we both plug into the same collective that's organized and orchestrated by organics. And he outsources that problem to make the funny limerick for the birthday card to me. And I outsource the problem of balancing my tax, you know, taxes or whatever to Jay. I, I don't think that's unreasonable.
0: Well, I think we'll all I, I bet all of us are probably going to go watch that movie archive now. That's I I can't believe I hadn't heard of it. Thanks for bringing that up, Charlie. That sounds like a, a great watch. Well, one more
1: topic for you.
2: What's your latest fun in
1: artificial intelligence?
2: <laughs> yeah. I've um I've been having quite a bit of fun. I'm a big fan of this TV show P- Parks and Rec. Everybody's heard of Parks and Rec. I I'm sure. love that show. Yeah, it's so good. And um, uh, Ron Ber- Ron is like not Ron Burgundy, but Ron is, Ron Swanson's one of my heroes in, in fiction and reality. And uh, there's quite a interesting collective uh, open source project to, to basically avail uh, different deep fake models using Ron. So my latest uh, activity has been trying to turn my 18-month-old daughter, who's adorable, um, and superimpose Ron on top of her and some of the, you know, family family home videos that we have so i haven't made much progress on it yet but uh, i was inspired by somebody who had done the same thing with the full house introduction where they turned all the people yeah. all the characters into ron swanson um so i'm working on it for jackie which is, <laughs> is just a silly thing to keep my hands in the code these days which isn't uh doesn't happen as often as I would, i'd like it to the deep fakes are going
0: to provide us with endless joy in, in AI, aren't they? The, the crazy stuff we can do. Charlie, in an earlier episode, we talked about Dolly um, and the avocado chairs. We told our, our listeners, if, if you want to know what we're talking about, just Google avocado chair, because there won't be any other link that comes up for that. And you'll learn all about Dolly and you'll get to see how it uh, took phrases and image generation to the next level and, and fused all that. But um this whole deep fake uh, uh, thing is an even richer mine. I mean, we're just gonna be able to create all kinds of, we're all amused by images that aren't quite right, right? Like the avocado chairs or the, the Fuller House uh, cast looking all like Ron Swanson. So yeah, I, I suspect this will be a recurring theme in this series is the latest yeah. deep fake. Well, and I think that's,
1: that's a fun one and it's, it's making technology more accessible you know, 10, 15 years ago, you had to go learn Photoshop if you wanted to superimpose somebody's face onto onto a photo, right? You had to like have skills and maybe take a class or spend endless hours clicking around on a interface and then you could get that. And now we're talking about being able to download a model from GitHub and just run it on your own laptop in a little, in a Docker container, right? And, and bam, you've, uh, you've, converted these photos or converted videos Video. I mean that's yeah. that's really bringing the technology to to the people right and in a very easy and accessible way and for fun i mean not just for giving you a cool uh, you know bokeh effect on your on your photo but you know for really going beyond that and maybe even like ar and adding that kind of stuff too i think there's there's a lot of cool possibilities in what else we can do with these
2: i think a very undervalued component of the ai swell is it's the first it's the first cutting edge technology in the history of mankind that was d- dramatically and aggressively democratized right we have clients all the time big fortune 500 clients and they ask us to develop you know models from the ground up and we say sure we're happy to but here is a you know, here's a random forest regressor that has been optimized by 40,000 people. You know, and it's tried and true. And like we, we're happy to spend the time if you want us to, or we could just deploy this model. And they, they usually see the you know, merit in doing it, doing it the way we suggest. But um, it's truly incredible, and I think it's very underappreciated. And you know, traditional software engineers, I think miss, especially those who are now in a management position, miss how different the culture of machine learning development is from anything that we've seen in the past i mean traditional net or c plus plus developer that you know the ratio of like time they spend in development versus time they spend looking at open source projects was like 100 to 1 and now it's like 40 to 60 right it's 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 a wildly different ratio that we spend um, looking at what the community is doing and it's really it's really cool the other thing around art that, uh, well, if you can call Ron Swanson on babies art, um, the other thing that I've been particularly uh, appreciative of is there's a company, I think it's called art.ai, but I could be mistaken. It's a company that's automatically generating pretty impressive works of art from different corpuses of, of you know, artistic categories, you know, can create Rembrandts or can create, you know, um Titians or Tiepilos or all sorts of different types. You can't really make out the objects because it's, it's not, it's, it's quite abstract. Um, but this, but this website or this, this company will let you purchase automatically generated AI quote unquote AI generated paintings. And it's, it's actually pretty impressive.
1: That's pretty cool. Cause that sounds a lot like something we were talking about earlier. It was kind of more filed under the creepy category where they're using deep learning to read your brainwaves and detect what you th- a face that you find attractive. A little weird on that end, but maybe it could be applied to something more appropriate like art. And I could use my brainwaves so that this AI could define a, a really great painting that I love. And I had no idea I would love, right? Or maybe it can read your expressions all the time and change that on that.
2: I totally agree. I mean, think about what that would do for like, match.com or dating websites where you could have exposure to, you know, different types of art or experiences and then get matched based off of the, you know, the similarities between your wavelengths and another person.
3: I think all of this business about, you know, deep fakes or being able to read your emotional state. I really think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Charlie, which is, you know, what does it mean to be intelligent? If, if it takes a society to, to truly be intelligent and it takes being able to specialize and offload tasks to specialists. Is that not what we're doing here? The Photoshop example is a great one. You know, if you're if you're using deep fakes to offload that specialized task of doing generative analysis, you know, generative photo work to a machine, does that make the machine intelligent? Are we done? Have we, have we achieved our AI goals because we have that specialist around? So it's a question that actually gets brought up a lot
2: with the people that we work with. In short, I think of what the industry refers to as AI, I think of as two different applications. One is the automation of tasks that are simple. And one is the enhancement of tasks that are extremely complicated. And um, And I think that the former will be automated to a great degree over the next couple of decades. What I mean by that is that any, you know, the litmus test, whether it's one or the other, any any task that you could complete uh, while having an intellectually stimulating conversation with another person, I believe that machine learning is capable of or will automate that within the within the near future, 30, 40, 50 years. And anything that it can't automate, it's going to put you in a position where you can decipher the right decision with as much context as possible. The um, pole star for that or the the fictional pole star for that is Star Trek. And I think I probably told Jay about you know, I, I think Star Trek is actually a very apt projection of where we're going to be from a society standpoint. Probably not with the warp drive, although I heard research coming out of I think Penn State that they've been working on ultra light transport. But it doesn't matter. In Star Trek, right? They they have all their ta- all their tasks are super automated. All the simple things are op- automated. They don't make their own Earl Grey tea, right? They don't like they don't you know push their own elevator buttons. But their computer is actually pretty stupid. Um, if you listen to uh, and we watch the TV show. They have to really be explicit with what the computer needs to inform them, and it works out just fine because that combination of having all the systems integrated into a single interface, and then having all their tedious at- tasks automated, lets them sit around in their pajamas all day, ostensibly their pajamas, and t- think about intellectual pursuits. Right? They get to just think about what it's like to, you know, argue with the Klingons all day instead of doing things like, you know, pu- pouring coal into the into the engine. I think that that's actually pretty on point.
3: I think that's that's where we're kind of headed. Just to add some extra geekery to this conversation, now that we've brought up Star Trek and moving consciousness around from, from thing to thing, for anyone that remembers Star Trek three, the Vulcan phrase for consciousness transfer is foul tor Pan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how about, we can...
3: I'm, I'm just point. a fleshy Jeopardy bot. That's all I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Charlie, we
0: really appreciate you joining us on the show today, and thanks for sharing with our listeners your uh, most recent AI fact, fiction, and fun. We we appreciate that. Taught us something new as well, so we're going to go off and cer- certainly watch Archive and ponder some of these thoughts a bit more, and we look forward to working with you more in the weeks and months ahead in the Austin Forum, and uh, hopefully some of our daytime job collaborations as well.
2: That sounds great. It's a real pleasure talking to you all today. So refreshing.
1: Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.